Hello and welcome to Can I Get a Picture? I'm your host, Sol Lovemore. Join me as I get to pick the brains of some extraordinary people, hearing their struggles and successes that have shaped who they are today. Today we're talking to Deo Okewale. Deo is an ex-professional basketball player and the founder and MD of Who's Got Game, an organisation that uses sport as a tool for social change and development. Deo is also Chief of Staff in the House of Lords, providing political, diplomatic and strategic insight to crossbench peers. His career journey is impressive and an inspiration to the younger generation. I hope you enjoy listening to Deo's story and take away some important messages. Deo, thank you very much for your uh, time today, for coming on. I mean, I've had the pleasure of knowing you through your brother, who I had on recently, Tunde, as a guest. So it's obviously great to to have you on too, and it's incredible for the family that both of you, do you know what I mean, have gone on to be very successful and real good like role models and ambassadors as we were talking briefly before we came on to the recording you know especially in the black community it's great to see young black men doing so much more than just looking at the sports music kind of like the entertainment kind of like the the cool stuff you know people always look at and what the work you're doing I mean is fantastic I'll let you tell it better than I can but yeah thank you and uh and welcome man thank you for having me uh you know, it's a it's a pleasure to be speaking with you today. Um, and as you said, it's you know it's important that we have visible black role models, you know, outside of the world of just sport, music, and you know something like politics maybe isn't necessarily as attractive, but politics govern the whole world. And you know, from the price of milk to travel to you know, congestion charge to which a lot of people are complaining now. I mean, everything is governed by um, politics. So. For me, I'm in a privileged I'm in a privileged position where I get to make change and and advise lords and uh, and and help them make decisions which govern everyday life. So so I'm privileged. I'm blessed. I really wanted to go back really to the start of your journey. Talk a little bit about early life. Obviously, we heard from Tunde on his experiences and the fact that you guys are brothers. I wanted to know if there was any sibling rivalry and how you guys got on growing up. Man, you know, you might have two different uh, realities. So, you know, we, we grew up in um, Hackney, East London. Hackney now has changed because of the Olympics and gentrification. Um, but Hackney back then was, was terrible. We lived like a road away from a road called Murder Mile because someone was killed every week. And it was it was crazy. It was rough. But, you know, the good thing about Tunde, Tunde was, he was smart. He was on the straight and now he's in his books. You know, he, he, he had a, you know, stable job. Tunde was about his um, books. I, unfortunately, from the age of 14, I was kind of caught up in a lot of, um, you know, wrongdoing and, and, and hanging around with the wrong crowd. And, and for, fortunately, at the age of 15, uh, you know, one of my good friends, he, he introduced to me um, the game of basketball and I became quite good at it. So good, I kind of, uh, you know, played for England. Um, under 18, I got I got a basketball scholarship to uni, and and that really changed my life. So once I once I went to uni, um, I studied business, information systems, uh, while playing basketball. Got a degree, played some professional basketball, played basketball here, played abroad. Uh, that went well um, for a few years, and then I went to finance. So I kind of put a bit of my degree to use. Worked for a financial assurance company, uh, making good money. But I, I didn't really feel my purpose was there. So, you know, 
on the side, I kind of started up my own basketball organization and it, it, it kind of looked at giving employability skills and life skills through sport. So basketball for me, you know, it, it took me from a, a life of crime and also it taught me valuable skills like discipline, hard work, dedication, um, performing under pressure. And, and I thought, wow, these are great tools that I can just, you know, implement and pass on. So I created an organization called Who's Got Game that just does just that. It teaches life skills and employability skills through sport. Once I did that, um, you know, that, that began well. And I, and I thought, hey, you know, uh, government really needs to pay attention to sport and the power of sport and how to really mobilize and invest in our youth for today. So I began to lobby hard, you know, government to invest more money in sport. I began writing articles and, and, uh, and programs on how you can uh, use non-formal education techniques to educate uh, young people. And that went really well. So I, I joined the European Commission. I began writing for the European Commission and I became one of their expert sport trainers. Uh, joined the UN board. That's kind of where my life and politics began. I, became, I began becoming an advocate for young people uh, and, and non-formal education, uh, especially via sport. And so, you know, that, that began to work. I began coming into parliament a lot, um, began developing good relationships. And then about five years ago, uh, you know, once my organization grew, we're in 220 schools now UK-wide. We've worked with over 70,000 70, young people. Um, and, and obviously government saw the, the influence of that. Plus, you know, I, I joined a few boards. I became an ambassador for the Commonwealth. Um, one of the lords actually in there, we, we were, don't ask me, we, we have a basketball camp in the Cayman Islands. And one of the lords actually there uh, came up to me and said, hey, I, I love what you're doing with this program. You know, we need help here. Um, you know, and there may be a position in the House of Lords where you can actually help us, uh, you know, work on some things. So I actually didn't even apply and I didn't, you know, my kind of journey into politics was, was a natural one because I, I, I was fighting for the rights of, you know, of our people and I was advocating uh, for education um, on a wider level. Uh, And, and then I got asked to join the House of Lords five years ago. And here I am today, Chief of Staff um, in the House of Lords. Yeah, no, incredible. I love that you've touched on so many different elements, which is good because I kind of want to break them all down into smaller chunks so people can understand a bit more about your journey. Who would you say inspired you as a young person? I know you said, obviously, you had a you had a troubled start, but you've gone on to do great things. Who would you say you looked up to when you turned the corner at the age of 15? So many people, to be honest. Um, you know, first of all, my parents, you know, crazy thing was they were they were working so hard. Um, and then, you know, they're working night and day, um, you know, just trying to give us better opportunities. Um, and it only, it didn't take me, you know, it was only until I got a bit older, I started to realize the sacrifices that they put in. Um, so they were huge. Um, my parents were huge for me. My brother was a huge rock, um, you know, to, to watch him, you know, study, work his way up, you know, and he was young barrister of the year. He, you know, got his MBA. I mean, he, he just kept on setting the past high so he, he was just keeping keeping me uh, on my toes and letting me aspire and then I think at a distance you know I was always looking at different guys I was, I was looking at people like Muhammad Ali you know people like Martin Luther King you know the difference with Muhammad Ali was he was just not a excellent sports person he was always about the fight and, and the rights of black people and he was always outspoken and he was always someone that stood on the side of truth And, and also was excellent in his profession. And I really believe you have to be excellent at what you do 
and you have to be excellent in your profession uh, as well as conscious around about everything that's happening around. Obviously, you mentioned basketball, that you were introduced to basketball by your friend, but where did like the burning flame, the, the passion and the desire to pursue basketball come from? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I kind of fell in love after I started playing. So initially, when he challenged me to play, and he beat me, and he beat me so bad. You know, for the for the two weeks, two weeks after that, I just I just started playing. You know, nonstop. I just dedicated myself to it, and I became good. And I beat him exactly two weeks after that. And then I, you know, I just I just you know I fell in love with the sport. I think the more I began to watch, the more I began to absorb. Um, you know, around around that era, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, was just fading, and, and that's when Kobe, rest in peace, was just arriving. So. Kobe was one of my biggest heroes, one of my biggest idols. Um, just how he carried the game, just his skill level, uh, and and that for me, just you know, it changed my mindset. Especially one of the things we do actually say there's more, or there's more professional black people, not just in sport, music, and etc. But um, you know, seeing black people at the top of their game in sports like basketball, I mean, it was it was just game changing. You, you're just seeing people in in a different in a different mindset and a different era. And Kobe was just he was just different for me. He's probably even to today, uh, you know, I'd say he's the best basketball player I've, I've ever seen, and, and, and someone I truly, uh, you know, look up to. He's one of my heroes. Now, for sure, the Mamba mentality will um will live on. As you said earlier, you played pro basketball uh, nationally, internationally. Um, you're a level three qualified basketball coach and an international sports trainer with a business degree as well, which sounds, even saying that, reading that out loud is crazy. How have you navigated, as you said, like balancing your studies, playing the game and obviously wanting to excel in life? Because that's quite a lot to take on at such a young age. To be honest, you know, I think going through everything I went through um, younger, you know, being younger, that just prepared me for, you know, for life, for real life. I think when you grow up in an environment where everything's not easy, you have to juggle three or four things at once, as well as make money, as well as live life, as well as provide for, you know, your siblings or or whoever you need to provide for. So I think for me, um, I've always sometimes struggled but, you know, just push through and go on with it. And, and that endurance, you know, it's never been easy. I think now I'm probably juggling more things than I ever have before. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm used to it. I'm used to playing pro sports and studying and, and starting a business and flying here, giving talks here, um, mentoring and doing other stuff. And, and none of that stops. I think um, some people actually uh, ha- have that gift. Some people have the gift to focus on five things at the same time. And some people, you know, they can only focus on one. And, and sometimes, you know, it, it, it's hard to explain and it's hard to describe other than you just have to do it. And, and, and I guess it's a learning process as you do it. Sometimes you fell through it. You know, there were sometimes I didn't sleep. Sometimes I'm, you know, I'm going to games and my body need, needed rest and was fatigue. I didn't perform as well as those games. And so I learned, um, you know, how to get in rest how to cut down time and, you know, there's a time to party, there's a time to play, there's a time to prepare. So I think you have to, you know, you, you learn those things as you go along. It's, it's, it's a kind of trial and tr- trial and error. Also, what skills did you learn through the sport that have benefited you in life and business and in all your endeavours now? Yeah, I mean, literally, uh, I'd say confidence and leadership are probably the top. I think for me, you know, the great thing about basketball or sport, once you practice something, um, you become really good at it, right? So 
my confidence doesn't come from arrogance or me thinking I'm better than anyone. It, it comes because I've worked so hard. I've, I've practiced this thing over and over again. And so when it comes to game time, you know, it's, it's, it's what it is. And the same with life, you know, I've, I've researched what I, what I work in or I've worked in it um, X amount of years. And, and I just continue to build on that. Um, you know, other skills like teamwork, performing under pressure, working in a team, uh, studying, you know, going back, reflecting, and then, building on what, what what happened before in the previous session. I mean, there, there's so many things. I think crazy thing is there's not enough, um, and that's what some organizations doing, that there's not enough people to actually see the transferable skills in sport and the transferable skills, even from, from growing up in an environment that is culturally difficult. You know, some of the skills you learn in these places just prepare you differently um, and, and just have a different, give you a different fiber for life. So, so in terms of your own integrity, integrity is a big one. And a lot of people, um, they haven't cultivated or, or built up their integrity because they haven't been through anything and they haven't been tested. Uh, and so a, a lot of these things that, you know, I, I used to kind of not complain about, a lot of things that I didn't enjoy going through, um, I found to be very, very useful for building up my character because, you know, character, your gifts and talents will maybe, you know, take you into a room, but character will keep you there and character keeps you on top and character is what speaks to you when you're not in the room. Um, and it's a, it's a huge thing to have. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to coin that. That's a good sound bite about character. I like that a lot. Also, you have experience in business operations roles over five years experience in the financial sector, but you've also got basketball played professionally, internationally, how would you define your career path considering you had so many talents and interests? Like how did you manage to navigate to where you are? Because I guess it, it, you could have gone in so many different ways and been equally successful in all those paths. Well, first of all, it's, it's God ordained, man. Uh, you know, I'm just thankful. Um, I'm thankful to God that, you know, so, sometimes when I explain to people my career journey, you know, how I went from, you know, basketball to politics and, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. And, um, you know, I'm thankful that I've gone through every step I've worked through. I think, you know, an underlying thread, you know, one of my purpose, one of my, my visions and my mission is to actually be a voice for the voiceless and, and always to, you know, work on the behalf of others. And I think for me, having that at my core, it doesn't matter what industry I'm in, as long as I'm serving that purpose. And I, and I think everyone needs to have a purpose. Everyone needs to have a mission statement. And, and that can actually help you flourish in, you know, no matter what position. Because you got to look at it this way, right? And it's the same if you go for a job interview. It's the same if you, you know, anyone can hire anyone. Because if you are trainable and if you're teachable, you can learn any skill. It depends on how much time that company or how much they want to invest in you. Um, so if they like you, uh, you know, and if they, if, if you're integral, if you, if you stand for something for a purpose, then you can fit anywhere. So for me, I, I kind of looked at it like, okay, um, you know, I started with basketball. It was my passion. You know, I loved it. I enjoyed it. Once my contract ran out, you know, I went into finance. I went into something I could do, something I studied, business, operations, you know, stuff I have skill in. I went into that because I could do it. I could earn money. Cool. Um, after a while, I kind of figured, well, you know, I enjoy doing it, but, you know, I, I feel I could be more purposeful in another capacity. So, you know, I just stepped into another capacity. And, I, you know, that, and that's something that everyone can do. I think, you know, there, there may be periods in your life where you need to make money. And you need to stack and you need to build up yourself more resourcefully. And then there may come a position in your life where you need to, okay, I've made enough money or I'm, I'm okay, I'm stable. Now, how can I live my life more purposefully? How can I, I, you know, act or benefit 
or, or, or live in a way where I can benefit others. And I think for me, it was just like an easy transition. In your basketball career, it leads you on to founding Who's Got Game in 2008. Just to kind of give a bit of uh, background to that, obviously, it's an organization that uses sport as a tool for social change and development. And I just wanted you to talk a bit about the organization itself and the inspiration behind starting the organization. Because as you said, there's always a why and a purpose behind these things. So it'd be good to hear how you arrived at that point. Yeah, man. So, so imagine this is a great story. So I literally, I, I finished playing um, at the time I was at uni, you know, just fin- or finishing uni, playing pro ball. It's summertime. Uh, one of my friends, he he was talking smack, trash talking as you do. Uh, you know, if you can play pro, I can play pro. And then, you know, all of this rubbish. And, and so I was like, look, man, you know, I don't like talking much. So, you know, we can just do it. We'll put on a game in front of our friends and family and I'll invite some of my, my professional friends, you invite some of your friends and we're going to see who's got game. So that's, that's how the name came about. It literally, we were going to put on a game in the park for our family and friends. So we did that 2008. Um, you know, it was a huge success and, you know, we only invited our close family and friends. We put a little something on Facebook and, you know, 300 people came to the park and, um, you know, we after the game, there were so many kids there and they were like, well, I want to play basketball too. I want to do this, I want to do that. The next year, um, we had the same setup, but we had a an, an earlier segment where we allowed the kids to play um, and develop their skills. And, and once the kids played, you know, quickly I saw one they couldn't play basketball very well. Two, they didn't know how to communicate, so they couldn't articulate themselves. And there were just so many issues. Um, and I, you know, I spoke to my business partner, and I said, "Hey, we need to actually develop um, our program in a skillful way where we're actually." teaching these young people to be better um, and actually creating opportunities for them. And so it actually organically grew. So um, it started off from a, a basketball game with me and my friend. It organically grew. We started doing training camps the, ne- the next year um, all over summer. And, and at the time, so, so the, for the first two years, we're just investing our own money. Um, we're, we're putting everything we have to it. We're paying for the camps. You know, uh, for some students who could afford it, they would pay a pound a day to come to the coaching for some who couldn't, you know, we'll discover. And then uh, 2010, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, you know, that was, that was the first year when we had sponsors. And I, you know, we'd built a two year repertoire with the company and reached out to Vitamin Water and EA Sports, and they were our first big sponsors. So, Vitamin Water, you know, they sent some money and then they sent 70,000 bottles to my house. I remember I was in my robe. And it's this big truck, it comes out, and, and the guy thought he had the wrong address. And so he's just he's put he's put he's, he's put seventy thousand water bottles in my house, and EA Sports sent some stuff, and, and that really uh, just propelled us. So after that, we shot a Sky Sports um, documentary on game changes, uh, which you can view now. You can go online and view, and, and and then schools start to hear about us, and then we organically grew. So now we're in two hundred and twenty schools UK wide. Um, and we run like programs during school, after school. We also have like an, an employability school program where we get young people into different corporations and, and get them work experience and apprenticeships and stuff. Then we have a corporate basketball league. It's the only one in London. So it has, uh, I think, 16 teams right now. And they're from your biggest banks, BlackRock, KPMG, Credit Suisse, to companies like AEG. Uh, I think next year we're going to have Arsenal Football Club in there. Um, and they literally, you know, it's business to business, uh, a basketball league, but they have to 
A, pay a premium, and two, commit to one school or one CSR activity where their business is based. And we get these companies to really embody community activity and really invest in some of the young people. Uh, and for them, it's great because they can scout potential employers. Um, you know, they can build team chemistry and team cohesion with their employees uh, and, and business-to-business relationships. So that's a win-win. And then we do global events. So we have a celebrity basketball game that we do every year. Um, you know, it takes place now in the Copper Box, which is 6,000 uh, arena in, in the Olympic Park. And we have artists like Notes, um, Big Toes, Richard Blackwood, Raxu, um, and this is endless. And, and they kind of play, play in a competitive uh, league, but it really brings the community together uh, and really champions um, active citizenship. So, and then we have global programs. We have a program in Sierra Leone, a program in Cayman Islands. Uh, we have some bespoke programs in the U.S. Uh, last two years ago, we um, we worked on the Uncle Drew basketball movie, and you know I, I can't even speak about some of the stuff we have coming up, but you know we have a lot of stuff that we're working on. Incredible! I'm sure you do. I I, I always know you're the man who's always up to something. So uh, looking forward to that. We spoke about the key skills before. What are some of the key skills you teach that you see developing the young people you coach through, obviously, the Who's Got Game programs you've been speaking about? I'd say communication is key. You know, when you look at, um, you know, on the basketball court, you have to learn how to communicate with the players. You have to learn how to communicate with the coach. You know, and some of this is, some of this is verbal. Some of this is body language. Some of this is pre-game. Some of this is during the game. You know, and, and so if we, we replicate skills and trainings uh, that embed these in the players' minds. And, it, and it's the same thing when you go into the office. When you go into the office, you have to learn how to communicate with your manager, whether it's results or, or, or whether it's stuff you want to see in the future or whether it's, you know, what, what's going on right now, if you need help, if you need assignment. And you need to be able to forecast. You need to be able to prepare. You need to be able to ask for help when you need it. And some of these skills, we you know, People don't know how to cultivate because in normal day life, you, you necessarily don't cultivate these skills as greatly as you do by a sport. And so for us, it's just great to watch um, people's communication skills grow, people's performing under pressure. You know, it's different when you have, you know, 500, 600 eyes on you. Uh, you really have to perform under pressure. And so, you know, when you're in a boardroom, and there's only 12 board members, you know, that's, that's nothing for you because you've performed in front of 500, 1,000 people. And so there's, there's these transferable skills, um, you know, our programs teach you that have, have you well-equipped and over-equipped for when you're going to the boardroom. Uh, that's a great analogy as well, the transition you said from going from big crowds to, to smaller numbers. How important is it for you to, uh, to give back to your community? Clearly, it means, a, it means a lot to you, but I'd like to hear it from, from you. It's important because we have such a a culture that feeds off negativity. And so whether it's the news, whether it's, you know, stuff that spreads viral via WhatsApp or different social media avenues, you know, most of the time it's negative news. Uh, and, and negative news catches fast, no matter if it's true or not. Um, so it's, import- it's important um you know, to create these moments of inspiration. It's, it's important to have uh, role models and it's important to uh, be able to show people what is actually possible um, and, and, and to create a path for others to follow. I think it's uh, it's important for me, you know, you know, I had someone that 
showing me the game of basketball, I, I had different role models I could look up to and aspire to, whether they were close to me or internationally abroad or on TV. Um, and it was important to see roles so I can aspire. Uh, you know, visibility is a huge thing. Um, people need vision. People need stuff to look to so they can uh, aspire to be there. And I think it's um, it's more important now than ever. I mean, it's when you're in a, an environment where culturally, especially in terms of music, um, and especially in terms of you know what we see on TV, you know m- most of the positions where you see black people is you know is a, a nature where it depicts certain activity or, or crime, and, and more of that gets perpetuated in the media than those doing good. And there are many examples of people doing good. So it's important that within our power, that's why, you know, podcasts like this are so important. It's important within our power that we just continue to shine that light and give back and show people, hey, there's a better way. There's opportunity. You know, if I could do it um, growing up in a a, a two-bedroom estate in Hackney, you know, then you can do it. There's no there's no excuse. And, and not necessarily excuses because, you know, people deal with real life. People deal with real life situations. Some people are really going for it probably right now, even as they're listening to your podcast. But this podcast can be a, you know, a light in, you know, in a dark tunnel. And it can be a, you know, a, a kind of rope where it gives people opportunity and hope, well, hey, I can do it. And, and sometimes people just need that motivation and that push, man. So any any way I can, any time I can, I find it um, extremely important to give back, man. And, and so I dedicate my life to it. Now, I appreciate that a lot inclusivity is one of your key values for who's got game aiming to be equal and diverse what are some of the challenges you see the BAME community facing and how can who's got game your initiative help some of the young people overcome these obstacles yeah I mean there, there's so many even as we see of recent I mean there's so many cultural and racial issues that plague society um, and we can't shy away from these issues we have to kind of, um, uh, you know, face these issues and face the reality of these issues and face the history of reality of these issues. And the great thing about sport, um, you know, it was a great Nelson Mandela that said sport can change the world. And, and sport has the ability to, to bring people together, no matter what culture, what ethnicity, what background, what social um, class. It just has the power to bring people together. And that's whether you're, uh, you know, you're a Tottenham supporter or you're, you know, whatever the whatever team you support, whatever culture it is, you know, if there's a football game on, it brings people together. If we're playing sport, you know, you have to be in, invested in that sport and it, and it has that power to silence, um, you know, cultural division and bring people together. So throughout, you know, throughout our programs and throughout everything we do, you know, we have an inclusivity policy we have a you know no racism policy, um, you know no discrimination policies in, in in everything we do, and it's important to us. And I and I think once you embed that in, especially in the um, the heads of young people from a young age, you know that begins to stay with them. You know a, a lot of the problems we're seeing now, you know whether a CEO speaking out of turn or whether it's a quote unquote Karen's gone wild on on Instagram is, is because you know m- most of these people haven't dealt with these issues from a younger age or they haven't, you know, been in situations where they've had to face uh, differences um, or, or had to, you know, um, deal with inclusion uh, from a younger age. And so for us, it's important to, um, you know, just to focus on, on that as one of our keys. Uh, and, and it's definitely going to help us be a more um, 
inclusive society. Once you once you're joined to a team, um, and you know you see beyond culture, you see beyond divide, and you're focused on that one cause, it helps you be a better person. And and I think you know that's a great analogy and a great philosophy for life. You know, if you can see society as a whole, um, you know, and, and us as a human race, you know, and focus on one goal that you know we have a greater mission. But in order to do that, we we have to face you know some of the harder issues that are currently plaguing us, and we have to deal with those things. What would you say is your biggest challenge thus far in your career? Um, I mean, there's there's challenges every day. I think I think the biggest one is, you know, you have to sometimes in in my career, you know, whether it's my career journey or whether it's my position in the House of Lords or or whatever it is, you you have to be in a position where you can actually be bold enough to do things different, and you have to be courageous. Um, where you can actually see things through your eyes, via like your experiences, you know, how you've been brought up, how you've been raised, and see that that adds value and be in a position where you can actually, um, you know, speak your voice and, and be heard and be authentic without having to change to the culture. Um, you know, in, in the House of Lords, I think the average age is probably 70 uh, or 65. And so there is a, there is a particular mindset um, of how things should be done, and, and it's kind of old. Some, sometimes it can be old and outdated within certain areas, and so you have to, you know, be courageous to, to sometimes go against the grain and go against how people perceive things, how they view things. Uh, if you feel, you know, you're on the right path and, and, and you're great, so being courageous in the in a sea of people that are on paper more influential and have more titles is not necessarily an e- easy thing. Um, but you have to be true to yourself. And so courageous is, you know, is definitely something I would say is a challenge and something that I definitely take on every day. It's mind blowing as well as you said about the average age there. So, yeah, that's scary. Um, moving on to the uh, House of Lords, actually, since you've touched on it, um, obviously you're currently the chief of staff in the House of Lords, the UK government, providing political, diplomatic and strategic insights to crossbench peers. First and foremost, to enlighten us, what are cross bench peers before we move forward, so everyone knows what we're talking about. So peers um, is is another term for lords and baronesses. So if you are a peer, you have a peerage in in the House of Government. So the House of Lords is the appointed house. The House of Commons is the um, elected house, and so. The House of Lords is rep- uh, responsible to the monarch and to the Queen and the royal family, and the House of Commons are responsive, responsible for the people. And so that's why it's important that you vote and you elect them the right people, um, because that, the House of Lords they're appointed via their contribution to society. So whether it's business, whether it's um, you know their work in the royal forces or, or whatever capacity it is, um, they are appointed by the Queen's Select Committee. So. In the House of Lords, um, similar to the House of Commons, you have different parties. So you have Labour, you have Conservatives, you have Liberal Democrats, etc. The crossbench peers are an independent party, so they're not they're not political, so they're not part of any party, and they help basically um, mediate and keep a balance in the House of Lords. So, so that group of people um, I advise, I work closely with, with 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 one Lord in particular and run his office, but, but I help advise. Um, different crossbench laws on, on everything. And so 
the opportunity itself you talked about earlier how it came about and you ended up in that position you know through the the Cayman Islands program but how did you make that transition to becoming uh chief of staff because as you said when you look at the average age you're considerably younger than you know all these all these guys 55 plus so it's just interesting to understand how you managed to to get in that space and almost rewrite the rules yeah and, and sometimes you know i think sometimes in life we don't we don't look at and we don't value ourselves enough and we don't look at everything we've been through and the value it holds and i guess sometimes we need to really quantify that and expand on it and so for me it was great because you know it was a different path to entry but somewhat you can kind of say you know, if you, if you spell it all out, you know, I'm well qualified and, and in some capacities overqualified, you know, to play, um, you know, to have a business degree, to have played professional basketball um, abroad, to have worked with the European Commission, to have been on a UN board, to be an associate fellow and ambassador for the Commonwealth, um, and to have worked across cross governments. And so to have basketball programs that have touched over you know, 70,000 young people to, to you know, it, it, there's so there's so many things that, you know, naturally you could glance at it like, okay, you know, these things are, you know, they're small, but, you know, they are big things that add great value and add a different perspective and great perspective, especially if you're talking about working cross-sector, um, both the House of Lords and House of Commons, they touch so many issues. I mean, you know, we're dealing with COVID to Brexit to racial inequality to, um you know, modern day slavery to, you know, to AI, you name it, we're, we're dealing with so many different things. And, you know, for me, I've been in professional basketball, finance, business, um, government, education. So, so to me, to work in so many sectors, um, you know, it just gave me a level of skill and insight above others that they necessarily didn't have. And what I kind of, some would say lacked in years, I, I overcompensated um, in experience. And, and so for me, it was um, it was an easy slot. I think the, adapt, the adapting was getting used to the culture and how things work there. Um, and, and, you know, again, learning certain skills from sport, you can adapt. It's, it's the same. You adapt to defense or you adapt to how, how the other team plays. And so for me, it was, it was an easy adapt, adaptation. You're also obviously part of a UNESCO Human Rights Global Integration Forum alumni. Uh, and leadership program and have published, as you said earlier, articles on human rights, sports um, for development and eradicating poverty. Um, what are some of the memorable moments or important causes that you've been involved with? Man, there's so many, so, so many. I think I think the work of UNESCO um, is amazing. And we used to have a, a, a global uh, leadership forum in Connecticut. So every year we used to bring 99 young leaders from all over the world. And, and I mean, this was amazing because you had, you know, political activists from Syria and, 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 you know, you had sports leaders from, you know, the UK and you had, you know, finance directors from that. So it, it, it brought so many different scopes of influence and, and people from all over the world. And we just came together, um, A, expanding our network and sharing our expertise, but two, you know, coming up, coming up with world solutions. Um, and so it was a privilege to be on that uh, UNESCO program and to still be part of the alumni and, 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 and also see where people have grown and, and developed. And, and that's, you know, one of the important skills as well 
Um, you know, you, it's the same with basketball. You know, when, when a player gets traded to a different team, you still build that relationship and you still you still know that person, even though they're in a different space. And, and it's the same you know, in a working relationship. If, if you build a relationship with someone and they're overseas, um, you know, that may come into benefit later on down the line. And so with UNESCO, we worked on several uh, different programs to obviously, you know, sports for development programs to you know, medical programs that, that work on some of the, the, the cures and that, that are dealing with some of diseases in some of the worst countries in the world. Um, and, that, and that work's still continuing. You know, that, that work's still continuing. Your role at the uh, House of Lords has obviously led to some great experiences. Uh, one that comes to mind straight away for me is obviously uh, you hosting Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan for the movie Just Mercy. So tell us a bit about how that came about and the experience itself and how you put it together. Yeah, man. Um, shout out to um, my friend Christina, who, who runs a, a wonderful uh, social digital marketing agency called Vamp. And she um, she basically afforded me the opportunity to to meet with the Warner Brothers team and, and go and see the film Just Mercy a year before it was released. And when I saw the film, I was so moved by the cause uh, and the power of the film. And for those who haven't seen the film, Just Mercy, the film is based on a book written by Brian Stevenson and, and a true life story. Brian Stevenson, an, an attorney, a Harvard graduate attorney who dedicated his life to work in a small city and fight for those who have been wrongfully accused, uh, mainly those on death row, and fight to basically get them free. Freedom. Uh, powerful story, powerful. When I saw the film, I was in tears. Uh, and it moved me so much that I I immediately brought it to some of the Lord's attention at the House of Lords and said, hey, we need to galvanize our power and influence behind this film. And also, you know, we're, we're launching a World uh, Justice Commission. Um, the government's launching a World Justice Commission. And so the alignment was perfect. And so I was like, hey, we need to actually, um, you know, put this on the agenda. We need to host something here at the House of Lords um, where we can, you know, Raise the profile of the film, but also have these hard-to-reach conversations. While there, um, you know, certain atrocities within our criminal justice system, how do we overcome them? How do we change them? And, and not just the U.S., both in the U.K. And as you've seen of late by social media, you know, a lot of these atrocities are still happening today. Um, a lot of these, uh, you know, criminal justice mishaps uh, are, are still happening today, both here in the U.K. and in the U.S. And so for me, it was important to, you know, to lead on that conversation. So, you know, for the first time, we usually don't have events as such in the House of Lords, um, just based on the nature of we can't be seen to be politically influencing uh, any any types of agenda. But I, I, I thought, you know, this was a, an agenda that's, you know, bigger than party politics and, and it's something that, um, everyone needs to be involved in, and have a part in, in fighting and eradicating misjustice. So it was huge. It was amazing. Um, you know, we had Jamie Foxx, Michael B. Jordan and Brian Stevenson, um, you know, attend, speak to our lords and baronesses and some of the top judge, judges uh, in the country. Um, and then also we have like a, a black men a mentee group maybe about 150 and, and those guys actually spent some time and spoke to our mentees as well so we just had we just had an amazing time with, with both of them and you know the, the film's amazing as well so if you haven't seen just mercy go see it yeah no for sure incredible film and like i said i'll be 
I'll be waiting for my invite to the to the House of Lords. You still have to show, Man, show me I've been, around. I've, been, I've, invited you, <laughs> I've invited you so many times. So, so literally, no, that's um, true. You know, once, once things begin to open up. Whilst we're on the subject of Just Mercy, it's obviously a film that covers some important themes concerning racial injustice. Um, obviously, now you've seen the Black Lives Matter movement at the forefront of everybody's minds. What's your take on what can be done to tackle social injustices in the black community? Yeah, I mean, you know, we all have a part to play. Um, and it's it's what can you do in your position? You know, first and foremost, everyone needs to recognise their, their, their legal right to vote um, and elect in these positions, you know, the right people. And also hold to account your members of parliament. So whoever's your MP in your constituency, write to them, you know, they have an obligation to answer you and to take your query, every query seriously. Um, and not a lot of people utilize that. Not a lot of people reach out to their MPs. Not a lot of people reach out to, um, you know, who's leading their constituency, their councillors. And, and we have to uh, utilize some of these tools. Um, and that's, you know, some of the basic stuff, first and foremost. Secondly, um, we need to get educated and that could even be first. You need to get educated on on the law, on, on, on what is right and what is wrong. Um, you know, and, and sometimes even in some of the atrocities of the past, um, in order to not repeat them. And, and, and what I've seen is, you know, over the past few weeks and months, whether it's removal of statues, whether it's news that's been spread on social media, people are getting educated every day of, of some stuff that they didn't even know and some stuff they didn't know. Uh, the UK or World Empire was a part of. And so I think it's important for us to, to, to educate ourselves and understand um, what's going on in history and how can we make sure history doesn't repeat itself and how can we make sure that, you know, we make a difference. And then, you know, in, in whatever sphere you can uh, make a difference, you know, whether you're in finance, uh, you know, you necessarily don't have to work in politics, whether you're in finance and you can um, help mentor other young people help financially uh, support people or, or support institutions that combat racial injustice. Um, or if you're on the front line and you can be an activist and you can be uh, strategic. You know, some people have placed, uh, I believe everyone should protest. Everyone should, um, you know, use their voice where they can. But, but, you know, some people have more influential power and some people have um, greater relationships and we have to leverage those. Uh, and we have to have the harder conversations with, with some people who may not understand uh, the current situation. And so everyone has a part to play. Um, I think, you know, that's the first step. Everyone needs to understand they have a part to play. And secondly, um, you know, we need to educate and equip ourselves and understand what roles we can play. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I was saying this recently regarding hospitality, you know about the need for more representation. And you're right that we could either have the conversation and just talk about it, or as you said, play an active role to use your influence and your position to say, how can I, you know, affect, even if it, if it means one or two people you affect, you know, as you said, that's the start of us getting somewhere and actually tackling these issues. So I couldn't agree more with, um, with uh, what you said. You're also a renowned public speaker, having been invited to make a number of public speaking engagements for charitable bodies, organizations that work obviously with young people. What would you say are some of the conversations we need to be having more of in our day-to-day -day lives? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, to comment on, on what you just said and, and just to re-bring it back to sport, 
it's, it's repetition. It's, um, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to have these conversations all the time. And, and so I perfect what I say. I kind of, uh, I'm used to speaking on these issues. I'm, I'm, I'm used to speaking, you know, one-to-one with people in front of large crowds. And so I think once you perfect something, um, you know, it becomes quite natural, it becomes second nature. I think we need to, um, you know, education for me is key. And, and educating ourselves in whatever sphere we're in um, is key. Uh, you know, one is one as well is value, because once you uh, quantify your value, once you increase your value, you, you know you'll be resourceful and you'll be in demand everywhere. And that that that's no matter what what um, capacity or what industry you're in. And so I, I look at it this way as well, because you know even from you know, if we if we look at the racial uh, in, injustice conversations we've been having, you know, part of the real discussion we need to have is why why doesn't the society the society that's committing these atrocities value black lives? Which is the honest conversation. You know, why why don't they see the value? And you can you know that conversation is different because there was an example of this lady um, in New York, Amy Cooper, and she um you know she she got told to put a dog on the leash and she said she's going to call the police and tell them a black man is assaulting her because she knew that that would get the man uh, in trouble. That could have even potentially got him killed. And the first thing that came out in the article about the man was that, you know, the man is smart. He's a Harvard graduate. He, he's a writer for Marvel. You know, he's accomplished, blah, blah, blah. And, and so that automatically quantified him with some sort of value. And, and, and you know, the conversation of value and, you know, why doesn't, racist and white supremacist societies see black people with values a different conversation but i definitely feel um you know as people as you know every person in here we need to you know be adding to our value we need to be reading uh you know at least two three books a month um you know basically we need to be enlightened on uh news what's happening in the world we need to be learning new skills and, and cultivating each other you know I'm, I'm part of so many whatsapp groups uh and i guarantee you 80 percent of them i have on mute um, just because I can't keep up with the data and content that, that's being spewed in them and, 90, and you know, 90% or 80% of those groups are not adding to my value. And so I need to limit those and, and continue to invest in people and invest in spaces that add to my value. And so whether it's education, whether it's skill, whether it's language, um, we, we need to be added to our value, right? So you're in the hospitality space, so if you could speak five languages now, you know, you might. I don't know if you can or not. But your value is is through the roof. It's a game changer. Like you, you are now more valuable as a commodity to, to to different companies. And so the same with us. In whatever space, it doesn't have to be a language. It can be knowledge in a particular area. It can be um, discipline. It could be sport. It could, could be anything. And and I, I think the increasing of value is something important that we we, we can't sleep on. For sure. I, I love that example you used about WhatsApp groups because I'm sure so many people can relate to that about muting, you know, these groups because you oh, waste hours and hours and hours reading absolute nonsense. So you now have two of your business mentees on the Young Advisory Expert Panel for Beyond Sport. Um, obviously, this is an incredible achievement to be able to give the next generation a voice. What's one piece of advice you would give to to young people especially the ones struggling to find their way yeah i mean get over yourself 
get up and try again. And it's, it's literally that simple. I think um, we can't build memorials on failure and we can't build up um, and we can't remember moments where things didn't work or things failed and we can't live there. I think we need to always be moving forward and always be focused on the real goal and progression. Life is tough. Life's going to happen. Um, issues are going to happen. You have to deal with it. The people that um, that are ahead in life, it's not because they haven't gone through anything. It's just that they've kept on going. And, and so, you know, why I tell everyone, you know, whether it's people I mentor, whether it's, whether it's young people um, I speak to or interact with, is just keep on going. Um, you know, part of what I try and express to, you know, the older generation above me is, you know, they don't understand what I've gone through which is true, but I, you know, I don't understand what they've gone through and I don't understand what the generation underneath me is necessarily going through. And some people maybe go through, you know, tough situations. However, one thing I do know is if you keep on going, um, a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of things get better and a lot of things work together for your good. And if you focus on, you know, on the prize, you focus on the goal at hand and, and you keep on um, pressing towards it, you know, you achieve it. For me, Two of the young people that um, went on to join that Beyond Sport um, Young Achievers panel, you know, one of them in particular, he's kept on going. And even from that now, he's, uh, you know, a signed musical artist. He just signed a deal with Universal and Polydor, I think a month ago, a few months ago. And, you know, he's touring all over the world now. And, and so I'm, I'm telling you, in whatever sphere, um, just keep on going. And, and a lot of these progression stories, you know, I'm working on a new business. That's going to help um, highlight, you know, a lot of this visibility. But, uh, you know, a lot of this progression stories. If everyone was to show you like what they've been through, like so, if I was to flip flip around the interview and interview you, and you were to tell me some of the stories you've been through and 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 some of the stuff you overcome, people would be shocked because you don't wear it on your you don't wear it. You know, people don't, when they see your double-breasted suit, they don't see you know, they don't see your struggle. Or what you've been through, they they only see you know they they see the refined material, and the same with a diamond, you don't see you know what it started out as, you don't see you know you only see it in its refined state. So you have to keep on going so that people can see you in your refined state. And once you've done that, once you've actually overcome and you've come in your refined state, you have that story, you have that motivation, and you have that heart to go and tell others and help others, and and that's the beautiful thing. That it's full circle. And um, what would you say is your biggest achievement so far? I mean, you probably have a ton, but give me one or two that <laughs> that mean a lot to you. Man, I, you know, I'm just, I'm thankful, man. Um, I'm, I'm in an opportunity where I can actually create opportunities for others. I think that's that's my biggest uh, above everyone, you know. And I've been, I've been fortunate enough to meet the Queen. I've been fortunate enough to meet Obama. I've been fortunate enough to to meet and work with people like Will Smith. Um, but you know, I'm just, I'm thankful that within everything, I, I, I can just create opportunity for others. You know, I can um, help other people uh, gain employment or, or, or people through our sport programs have gone on to play um, basketball abroad and get education. So for me, um, those are the most, you know, the biggest levels of success. I mean, everything else is cool, but, you know, touching the, the lives of other young people, um, that, that's pretty big for me. We're getting close to the end now. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you is around how you stay motivated, having achieved so much already, and you know, with your, with your different business endeavors, your role at the House of Lords. How do you keep the fire in your belly to want to do more and more and more? Yeah, I've got a good team. Um, I have a solid team, and 
you know, within that team, you know, we have people that are, you know, managers of some of the biggest stars in the world and, and, and certain people that are, you know, they're, they're high in their elected officials or appointed officials. And they're killing it in their fields. And so we just more, we, we rub off each other, um, you know, and at the same time, I'm also motivated by, you know, all the all the atrocities, all the racial injustices I see in the world, and it, it means that I'm not doing enough. I mean, I still got I still got work to do, and we still got work to do. Um, we still got a lot of stuff we need to change, you know, until society starts seeing everyone as equal uh, and people of equal value. Um, you know, there's no time to rest, and so every, everything else is cute and everything else is, um, you know, it's nice and comfortable, and we can eat good and we can live good. Um, but we still we still got a job to do, and so that that's always that you know when I wake up, when I go to sleep, you know after my prayers, and that's always in the uh, the back of my mind is just that you know there's a bigger mission at hand, and until that's done, you know the job's not finished. You got to keep on going. Now for sure, and what would you say? I mean, you touched on it a bit earlier. Uh, what would you say is next for you? What's your next career goal milestone? What's what's Dale chasing next? Yeah, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot. I think I'm working on a, a new uh, a new business that's really going to work on the development of black people um, and the, and the basically you know the value piece I was talking about before. I can't give too much away, but but how to you know increase our value as a community and how to give the right skills and, and value. So I'm working on I'm working on a, a new business like that. Um, and, and then we're just expanding. Um, Who's got games expanding? Some of our activity and some of our global reach. And then I think on the political side, I mean, who knows, man? Who knows? You know, you might see me in a different position. You might, you know, there might be some news soon. Who knows? I mean, who knows? I like, <laughs> I like that. Play your cards close to your chest always. Um, we're we're finally at the end. Um, I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure. And as you know. The title of the podcast is Can I Get a Picture? And our closing question is, who is one person that inspires you that you'd love to have your picture taken with and why? Man, you know, one of one of the people that I would have loved to get my picture taken with would have been Colby. Um, I, met him, I met him twice and, uh, you know, he was like a, a personal hero of mine, not just basketball, but his, his mindset, his mindset for excellence, his mindset for work ethic. Um... You know, not just being the best at what you do, but just his embodiment of, of how he did it. And then even how he transitioned from basketball to winning the Oscar to, you know, starting this investment company. I mean, he, he was just, you know, in every capacity, uh, he represented excellence. So he would have been, for me, um, one of my top, I think, currently now. Um, man, I don't know, man. I, I, think, I think now I'm good. I think there's so many past greats I could have said, like MLK or Nelson or... Um, I think now, now I'm good. I'm good. Thanks again to Deo for taking the time to chat with me. And thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Can I Get a Picture Pod? And we'll be back again next week for another episode.